Is it true that these girls will dance on your spine before making love? He asked. Christopher nodded and gave him another hundred baht note. Christopher paid the bartender and left. He walked through the city with its smell of waste, dead vegetation, open drains, untreated diseases of the skin. The people who slept in the streets were awakening as the sun, coming up on the flat horizon, flashed into the city like light through the lens of a camera. A leper, opening his eyes and seeing a white man, showed Christopher his sores. Christopher gave him a coin and walked on. When he reached the river, he hired a boatman to take him to the floating market. He had three hours to kill before going to the airport. It was cooler on the river, and he was just another white man among dozens, who had risen early to be paddled past the grinning naked boys standing in the roiled waters and the market boats filled with odorless flowers and lovely fruits that had no taste. He bought some limes and shared them with the boatman. The night before, in the toilet of a bar, Luong had put his thumbprint on a receipt for the money Christopher brought to him, his monthly stipend. While Luang cleaned the ink off his thumb with whiskey from the glass he had carried with him into the toilet, Christopher showed him the envelope. It was filled with Swiss francs, new blue hundred-franc notes. "'I'd better keep this till morning,' Christopher said. Luang, who always ended the night with a girl, nodded. They agreed on a plan for a meeting in the morning, checking their watches to be sure that they showed the same time. Now, as Luang slept... Christopher took the envelope out of his coat pocket. He put the stamp pad inside with the money, sealed it, and dropped it over the side of the boat. The white envelope twisted in the moving brown water of the Chow Fraya and disappeared. Christopher smiled at his own gesture. It was not likely that Luang would understand the message. He trusted Christopher. Luang knew, of course, that agents were sometimes sacrificed— But he did not consider himself an agent. He did things for Christopher, and Christopher did things for him. Though Christopher was white and Luang was brown, they had the same beliefs. This money, he asked once, it's good money from people like us? Christopher replied, yes. Luang was a subtle man, but Christopher, throwing 10,000 francs in secret funds into a tropical river, did not really believe that the Vietnamese would understand that the loss of the money meant the loss of Christopher's protection. It was more likely that he'd think there had been a mistake, that Christopher would come back, as he had always done. Luang would go back to Saigon and die. Christopher was in no danger. If the secret police in Saigon interrogated Luang before they killed him, he would speak about a blonde American named Crawford who believed in social justice and spoke unaccented French. Christopher had what no American is supposed to have, an ear for languages. He registered everything he heard, sense and tone, so that he understood even Oriental languages he had never studied after hearing them spoken for a few days. This trick was the fossil of his talent for poetry. Luang can vomit all over the floor about you, said Wolkowitz, the man from the station in Saigon. The Vietnamese are never going to believe that an American can speak French the way you do. They'll figure some Frenchman has been passing himself off to Luang as an American and will be off the hook. At Luang's expense, there's no reason to let him be arrested.
You know they don't have any evidence he's tied up with a VC. He's not. Wolkowitz put bread in his mouth and softened it with a sip of wine so he could chew it. Wolkowitz was self-conscious about his false teeth, but not for any cosmetic reason. His own teeth had been pulled by a Japanese interrogator in Burma during the Second World War, and there was a belief in the profession that a man who had been tortured and stood up under it could not afterward be trusted. He would know too well what to expect. "'Since when do facts make any difference?' Wolkowitz asked. "'There's nothing you can do about this, Christopher. "'Long is in Bangkok, waiting to meet me. "'I can tell him to stay there. "'What good would that do? "'New told us he was going to grab Luang "'because he wanted to see if we'd warn him. "'If we do, New will know we've been running Luang. "'We don't need that. "'We have enough trouble with the bastard "'without giving him proof that Luang "'and that noisy little political party of his "'have an American case officer. "'They'll kill him,' Christopher said. "'They'll kill him in Bangkok if they have to. "'We can't salvage him without blowing you "'and the whole political operation. "'One agent isn't worth it. "'Do me a favor, will you? "'Call him by his name.' He's not an abstraction. He's five feet, six inches tall, 29 years old, married, three children, a university graduate. For three years, he's done everything he's been asked to do. We got him into this. All right, so he's flesh and blood, Wolkowitz said. He proved that when he struck out in Vientiane last month. He's not supposed to be an F.I. operator. He's paid to act, not to steal information. Luang was not the only one who couldn't find out what Domin Ka was doing in Vientiane in September. Action is what I wanted from Luang. He's supposed to be a boyhood chum of Doe's. He should have walked in on him like I suggested. Barney. Doe would have shot him. He's a chief of section of the North Vietnamese Intelligence Service. Do you think he doesn't know who Luang works for? I don't know what Doe knows, Walkowitz said. I know Luang struck out on me. Luang reported what he saw. Doe and the girl constantly together for three days. At least he brought you back photographs. With no identification of the girl. Very useful. Wolkowitz called for the check. They were sitting at a table at the Circle Sportif. Do you notice anything unusual about that girl in the white bikini? he asked. Christopher looked at a French girl who had just pulled herself out of the pool. She was wringing the water out of her long bleached hair, and her body curved like a dancer's. No, he said. She has no navel. Look again. It was true. The girl's belly was smooth except for a thin white surgical scar that ran through her tan into the waist of her bathing suit. She had an umbilical hernia, said Wolkowitz, so she asked them to remove it when she had a caesarean. The clever Vietnamese just removed her belly button altogether. The waiter went away with a signed chit. "'Christopher,' said Wolkowitz, "'you're a conscientious officer. Everybody knows that. But Luang is not your child. He's an agent. Go to Bangkok, meet him, give him his pay, wipe his eyes, but leave well enough alone. You mean let New have him?' "'New may not live forever,' said Wolkowitz. On the airplane in Bangkok, a stewardess handed Christopher a hot towel. Stewardesses disliked him. He had no sexual thoughts about them. Combed and odorless in their uniforms, they seemed as artificial as airline food and drink. 
He had been in nine countries in twenty days, flying in and out of climates and time zones, changing languages and his name at each landing. His appetites and his emotions were suspended. The jet turned over the city. Sunlight flashed on a pagoda that quivered on the brown plain like a column of crystal. Christopher knew that the pagoda was faced with broken blue china saucers, smashed in the hold of an English sailing ship by a storm a century before. He stood up when the seatbelt warning went out and removed his jacket. The jacket was wool because he was flying into a cold climate, and it was clammy with sweat. It was the last day of October, 1963, and it would be chilly in Paris where he was going to make his report. Christopher organized his mind, sorting out what he had learned and what he had done in the past twenty days. When he closed his eyes, he saw the girl who had no navel beside the pool in Saigon, the brown girl he had bought in Bangkok for Luang, and finally the girl in Rome who was waiting with his book of poems to make love to him. Desire is not a thing that stops with death, but joins the corpse and fetus, breath to breath. Christopher remembered what he had written well enough, but not so well as he remembered what had made him write. His grandfather's death had given him his first poem, eight quatrains in Tennyson's voice, the old man lying in a hospital with the tubes removed from his arms so that he might die in his own time, thought that he was in a railroad station. As he ran for his train, he met his friends, and they were young again. "'May Foster, your cheeks are as red as the rose. Caroline, you're wearing the white dress I always loved.'" Christopher's last poem was written in his own voice after...